Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You're the mom, the maid, the keeper of the cookies. You do it all and you look good doing it. It's parenthood on a mother level. Here's your host, Denise Hanitka. This episode of On a Mother Level highlights an important project going on right now in the Quad Cities. But if you're listening from somewhere else all around the country, the same thing should be happening in your area. My guests today are Dr. Lindsay Day and Jess Buntemeyer. They're talking about their work to raise money for what's called a bereavement suite at Genesis East Hospital in Davenport. The No Foot Too Small Birthing and Bereavement Suite is designed for families experiencing miscarriage, stillbirth, and infant loss. Imagine going to the hospital and knowing you won't be taking your baby home, and yet there you are in the birth center, surrounded by other families, other mothers, and celebration. This suite honors the families facing the unthinkable. It will include a labor and delivery room and a waiting area for family and friends, a private and comfortable place where babies will be welcomed into the world and loved, and then families can say goodbye. You'll hear from Jess Buntemeyer about how the idea came about because of the loss of her Brayden at 30 weeks. She also serves Brayden's memory as a volunteer birth and bereavement doula. Dr. Lindsay Day joined the effort before facing her own loss just last year. And in this episode, you'll hear Ada Marie's story too. I started by asking Dr. Day to tell me more about her background. I am an OBGYN. I work at the group. Um, I've been there for six and a half years, which is just crazy to think about. But um, So I did my medical school training at the University of Iowa, and then I did my residency in OBGYN at Loyola in Chicago. And then um, my husband and I are from here, and so we moved back almost seven years ago, and couldn't be happier. It's a great place to be, and I'm so thankful to be at the group. Um, and then we, we work at Genesis East as well, and we just work with the most amazing group of people at both places. We're so fortunate. Well, I love the group, so I'm so happy to have you here and speaking um, on their behalf. Jess, give me a be- little background on you. Um, well, how I got started in this yeah. work is how um, So our first son, Brayden, was stillborn um, at 30 weeks, and so that's how I got involved in the lost world. Um, we went on to have two other children, uh, Liam and Lydia, they're seven and four. Gosh, that sounds crazy to say that. (laughs) Um, I'm a stay-at-home mom, so uh, I get to spend all my time with them, and then I'm also a uh, birthing doula as well as my bereavement doula work, so um, that keeps me plenty busy. So your doula work, did that come before or after having children of your own? It came after, and I never would have imagined that that's what I would be doing or have a passion for. So Yeah, tell me how you got involved with it then. Um, Well, after we had our second son, Liam, I had gone to some um, birth documentary thing. I don't know. It just sounded like something cool to go do. And after watching that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is exactly I want to know more. I want to be involved in all of it. And so that's really what started 
everything. So yeah. got got in touch with some doula friends and all the birth world people and was sucked in. So so for um, for people who don't know what a doula is, give me um, I don't know what's the what's the short version. <laughs> um, basically, we are just uh, labor coaches, um, support people for both both partners, um, the laboring mom and her partner as well. Um, doing a little bit of education beforehand to try to help them figure out what they would like in mm-hmm. their birthing process and um, kind of what it's like to go through pregnancy and labor and what their delivery could hopefully look like if they have a big dream of what they want it to look like we do our best to try to get that and if you know it turns out that we've got to make different uh judgment calls or whatever because they stuff comes up they Mm -hmm. they're informed and they have all the education to make those decisions and feel like they had a choice in what was happening so so tell me um Lindsay how you got involved in the bereavement suite Um, Well, it's kind of a long story, but um, (laughs) so shortly after I started at the group, it was the fall, and I started in September, so it was really soon after I started. I took care of a patient who um, came to the office. She was 18 weeks pregnant, and she was just having some kind of vague symptoms, and she came in, and we actually found out that, unfortunately, her water had broken, and the umbilical cord from the baby was delivering. Um, And, of course, she came all by herself. She thought it was just going to be a routine visit, and it was very much not that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was devastating. It was really, you know, that was my first time taking care of someone so personally. I mean, in residency and in medical school, you see all of this stuff, but they're kind of shared patients, and you take care with more of a team. And and I don't know, this time just felt like she was my patient for the first time and I really walked closely with her, and I walked out to her car, and I called her husband and told him, and um, those things really struck me. And then I walked with her through the delivery of her son and his death and um, through the months to follow, and I learned so much from her. She would come in, and she would tell me things that people had said to her that were really hurtful, um, like, at least you're young, or at least you weren't further along in your pregnancy, or you know, at least you can have another baby and things like that. And, and so she really taught me there is no at least in pregnancy loss. You can't, you can't say at least anything. That was Mm -hmm. her baby and she wanted him. Um, and so I learned a lot from her and she told me a bunch of books that she read that were really helpful to her. And so I just started to think we can do better. There's a lot of things that we can do better for women who are experiencing this. And so I sort of started talking to people around the office and found some other people that were really interested in pregnancy and infant loss. And then that's how I met Jess. Okay. Um, and so we started this started this grassroots team um, and we just started meeting to say, what can we do better? And mm-hmm. we started re- rewriting our resources and our materials that we have and sort of digging through the process of what happens when someone goes through this at the hospital. What we learned is it was kind of always really different. It just depends on which nurse was there and if that nurse knew how to do molds and if that nurse knew how to do handprints. And all the nurses are really great. And some of them are just really uncomfortable taking care of this because it's very uncomfortable for some people. And it's, it's hard to know what the right thing to say is and the right thing to do. And you don't want to do the wrong thing. And so we sort of thought if we could standardize it, if we could make this better, if we could educate people, then this process will go more smoothly for our patients. And then one night we were just talking, Jess said, you know, I have the craziest dream 
But ever since Brayden died, I really want to build a birthing and bereavement suite. And I'd never even heard of such a thing before. And so I said, well, all right, well, let's, let's do ask. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the worst they can say is no. And fortunately, nobody nobody said no. We, we brought the idea up to the administration at Genesis, and they said, oh, my gosh, absolutely. This sounds like a great idea. And we sort of rolled with it, which yeah. was really great. Um, the really crazy and, like, heartbreaking part about it was, so that was in October. I was pregnant at the time and just thought everything was going fine. And then we found out a month later that our daughter was going to die. And she had these terrible birth defects. And it just was this really crazy turn of events. We were already working on this. We'd already met to build this birthing wow. and bereavement suite. And then I found out that like I was someone who was going to experience this myself. And that was never something that I thought that was not something I needed. I mean, we were already really dedicated to this, all of the stuff before that. But right. So then I walked through this myself and got to experience all of it on the other side of it. And so our daughter was born in December of um, 2019. Her name was Ada Marie. And so I'm really thankful that I knew Jess and that I've had her by my side this whole time um, for so many reasons. Yeah. But. Yeah. So I, I, you guys have given me so much that I, that I want to talk about, so I'm going to kind of just back up quite a ways. Um, so first and foremost, I want to go back to that, that first patient who, um, who gave you that first experience and learning uh, process. Tell me, you know, in your med school uh, training, I mean, do they, do they teach you how to handle situations like this? I mean, like how much can you really be taught out of a textbook about helping someone Not through much. a loss. What you learn is really what you see. And so if you see you just you see how they took care of somebody going through something and then maybe you had a little talk about it afterwards and so you learn from the good and the bad. You know, you mm -hmm. learn this this went really well. I want to be like that doctor or this really I I didn't like how this went. I I'm definitely not going to do that in my practice, but that's pretty much it. We had zero classes on how to take care of a stillbirth, you know, and even in residency, um, I never took handprints in residency. I mm. never did that stuff. And I never even really thought about it at the time and until it was like right before me with that first patient. And I mm -hmm. thought, oh my gosh, what do I do? You know, who, who does those handprints? Um, and, and it's, it's not something that you yeah. really learn. Well, and I'm, I think that's really cool on your part because I'm sure a lot of um, other doctors had maybe felt the same thing and didn't really know how to speak up or say, like, hey, I'd like help learning how to, to deal with this. So that's really cool of you that you wanted to learn more about how to better care for patients. Yeah, we can always do better. Yeah. And so, you know, I want to be clear about that. You know, when we talk about this bereavement suite, it is about doing better. It's not saying that anybody did anything wrong in your case. Um, but tell me, tell me when you were um, delivering Brayden and you were doing it without the benefit of this bereavement suite. Like, give me an example or uh, an idea of what your experience was like that maybe you'd like to see changed. Well, we were um, in a room down a hall across from another laboring mom who you could hear and you could hear her baby be born and you could hear her baby crying. And we had our family shoved over into the small little corner that was available. We had my mother-in-law, my brother-in-law, my sister, my sister-in-law, my father-in-law. Like, they were all there and all in one uncomfortable spot. But they all stayed by our side the whole time. And 
Uh, at one point, they were, giving a they were given a room across the hall, which was great, but then they have to walk the halls and they have to see families celebrating and they have to see babies being wheeled down the hall while we're going through what we're going through in that room. So mm -hmm. I think that was one of the biggest things for me is thinking about what my family was going through, waiting, and how they, you know, everybody knew that, you know, I was the patient, I was the mom who was getting all the attention, basically, and everybody knew how to kind of make sure I was protected, so to speak, but my family had to still see and, and deal with all of those mm -hmm. things, and nobody knew that that's the grandma of the baby who's not going to be alive when he's delivered or, you know, those things mm -hmm. that um, I think the bereavement suite will be absolutely amazing for because we have an entire room for them that is attached to the room. So they can be with their family the whole time or if they do want privacy, the family can stay there and then, you know, they don't have to go out to the lobby or anything yeah. like that. So I think that's the biggest thing for me um, and to make the, just to make them feel a little bit more at home, not so hospitalized and- Sure. So. so take us back a little bit more. And um, so you're 30 weeks and you noticed that there was um, less movement than you'd been used to. So tell me what you did then. Yeah, well, so actually it was the day before my 30-week appointment, okay. and I was in school at the time, and so I mem my sister and I were both taking classes together. I remember telling her I didn't really feel that great, um, and I was going to go home and, you know, just kind of take it easy for the rest of the day before my appointment, and had an appointment and said, you know, I'm kind of feeling different, but they checked me out and his heartbeat was fine and they did everything and everything was great. And they said, you know, if he doesn't pick up movement by morning, why don't you give us a call? So we went to bed and I woke up at like two in the morning and I just, I just had this feeling, but was trying to pretend that I didn't have that feeling. Mm -hmm. And so when I woke up in the morning, I had a very important test that I needed to get to. So I'm still trying to like play it off. Like, no, everything's fine. I'm overreacting because that's just what I do. And um, my sister-in-law actually called and I was kind of explaining it to her. And she's like, Josh, you need to call. Like, just call. It'll be fine. Just go in. And so we went in and I think the whole time sitting in the lobby, I think we both just, we both just knew I had this feeling of emptiness and I felt very disconnected from him. And so uh, we went back for, you know, the NST or whatever and they couldn't, you know, they were casually just being like, well, maybe it's just the machine. Like, we'll just take you back for ultrasound. And we went back to ultrasound, and she just kept rolling the wand over my stomach. And nobody nobody could say it. Both two of our closest midwife friends were in there with us, and nobody could say it. But finally, I just I said, there's no heartbeat, is there? So that's... Uh, that's where where we were, and we didn't know what to do after that, and so they just took us. I remember it was at your guys' old office, and um, we just sat in one of the rooms, like, trying to figure out what comes next, and mm -hmm. um, I feel like, you know, our midwives were just as, the whole office, I felt, was as in just as much shock, and, like, we don't know what to do as we were, and just, I mean, I don't really remember a whole lot other than oh my gosh, I can't believe that I'm going to have to go through whatever is going to have to happen in the next couple of days. Right. So, And so th 
this was your first pregnancy at the time. Yes. And so you don't even know what it is that you're feeling. Right. You know, you don't know what's normal and what's not normal. And then to, to get this news. Yeah. At 30 weeks when you're, you think you're supposedly you're safe. feeling safe, yeah. you know, yeah. like you're all of that nervousness is behind you and that you're just looking forward to this next thing. What came after that appointment? Uh, we decided to go home for a little bit. Our family all immediately came over. Uh, and I, I honestly, I don't really remember. I remember sitting on the couch and all of my family members coming to be around me. And uh, my wife was frantically, like, packing a bag. Like, I don't know what should we bring. And, yeah. you know, like, I... I I remember she grabbed the camera, and I'm like, why do we need the camera? You know, just all these, like, what do we, you know, mm -hmm. like, what do we do? And it's not, we don't, we don't need a camera, and you're just, you're just thinking, I just remember thinking, obviously, like, the whole plan has changed. The whole atmosphere has shifted. Um, and now, with as many years as it's gone by, being a bereavement doula, what I try to do is to show that family that this can still be beautiful. You can still have your labor. You can still bring your camera and your outfits and all of that. And it doesn't have to be darkness. That's what I always just yeah. remember is dark, cold, and quiet. That was all there, oh, that there was. So, Can you tell me a little bit more about what it was like to deliver your son? Um, it was long. The laboring process was very long. Um, I think 34 hours was oh the whole time that it was. Um, I remember during the process just waiting for my body to kick in. And uh, think there were times where I thought I felt him move and would ask the nurse, you know, like, can you just check? Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously... That I can imagine how awkward that made them because, uh, you know, we all knew, but to have me ask that. So um, my mother-in-law sat next to me the whole time. I, I remember that, but I slept a lot of it just, right. you know. Um, but then I remember our midwife coming in and she said, she's like, I think he'll be here by evening. And she was right. Um, and the only thing that I remember really from the delivery was our midwife, Pam, saying to Jenny, oh, she's Pam. like, this is Pam's oh, Pam. Um, after, after he came out, uh, she said, Jenny, this is your job. And that was to cut his umbilical cord. So mm -hmm. that's really all I remember. I kind of just closed my, I didn't want to see him. I was afraid to hold him. You know, I'd never even held a newborn before. So yeah. Um, I had a, I asked our nurses to take him <clears throat> to another room to like get him dressed and clean him up before I held him. So um, they did that, and I mean it didn't seem like it was very long before they brought him to me to to hold him. But I held him. He was wrapped up. I never unwrapped him or anything like that, which obviously I regret now. So something oh that gosh. I try to help families you know, to encourage them that if it doesn't feel right now, that's okay, but you have plenty of time to, to do that. I think for me, it was just, I wanted to see him, hold him and like say goodbye basically. So, um, it didn't seem like we had him for very long in there, but we had him long enough for our family to stay and, um, take some pictures with him. And then I remember I went and took a shower and he stayed in our room with, and then we had like our closest friends come up and they, uh, one of them asked to hold him, and I actually, you know, I had said I'd rather him just stay in the bassinet, and of course I regret that too. I wish that I would have let them, but 
you know, you don't There's know no what you right don't know. Do so yeah, things. that's exactly right. So, oh. so. But it's things you've taken now into your experience. Yeah. Yep. I, I just, I can't even wrap my head around the way you must have been feeling. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's been eight years, so it's definitely, I can talk about it and feel differently now than I could have five years ago sure. or even a year ago. But, um, I mean, obviously you still feel and remember all of those big feelings and, mm-hmm. and all that, so. And obviously you had family with you and you had a midwife with you, but do you wish there was someone else in the room with you that could have really walked you through the process? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I wish that I could have had myself, mm-hmm. you know, a, a future version of myself or somebody yeah. who does what it is that I do. Um, yeah. Like our nurses were amazing. Our two nurses that we had stayed after their shift. So because of that, they were able to get, you know, his handprints and footprints and mm-hmm. just having them stay with us to see us through it all. That really helped. And um, but yeah, you know, nobody knew like well, what do we do next? Do we have a funeral? Do you bury your baby? Do you have a cremation? Like, what do you do? So just those things that some of the decisions felt so rushed just because we, okay, well, that's what you do. So, um, and of course, I wish that I would have held him longer and kept him in our room. So that's something that I always try to say is, you know, you can keep your baby as long as you want. If you need your baby in a different room for a while, that's fine, but we can always bring your baby back. Um, those kind of things that basically all the things that I regret now, I try to encourage the families to, to do those things. So how long then did you stay in the hospital? Um, I don't remember. It wasn't very long. I don't think, I mean, probably within 24 hours after delivering, we we were gone and off to live our lives. What happens then? You know, um, you you go home to a house that may or may not already have a crib set up. Oh, yeah. We had an entire room, yeah. everything. So um, my younger sister was living with us at the time. So I had asked her to just close the door. So yeah. that's what we did. We just kept the door closed until we were ready to open it. So was there any support available to you in those weeks and months after? Um, we found the local support group, which is the Quad City Share Group, okay. and we found the group, um, the pastor that we had speak at Braden's funeral. <clears throat> um, he had actually spoke at an event, the Open Arms Ceremony, which is the annual, sorry, <clears throat> the annual ceremony that they have for Genesis um, for all the babies who were lost throughout the year that the family chooses the, uh, the hospital burial. He had actually spoke at that the week before, which Braden was born in October, which is also Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. So I kind of find that, you know, mm-hmm. ironic. But um, so he was telling us about it, that the lady who had spoke at this, she's one of the members of the share group. So he got us the info for it. And the next meeting was that next week. And right away we were like, well, let's go. Like, we let's go see what it's about because we're not, I mean, we can't, just keep going not knowing what to do so and we didn't know anybody who had ever lost a baby yeah but then of course the more you talk about it you learn that there's a lot of people around you that have they just don't know how to talk about it either so um we went to a meeting right basically right away and that I wasn't expecting anybody to be there I always tell it's kind of a funny story but I always tell everybody that I expected I have no idea why but I expected it to be a nun (laughs) 
in a room sitting by herself just waiting with a couple of books like I just didn't think there was any way that anybody else was going to be at this support group and we walk in and it is an entire conference room full just full of families so um which you know I couldn't decide if I was relieved that we had so many people that have been through the same thing or if I was more upset and devastated that so many people have gone through what what we had just gone through so but it was definitely a, a great start for us to feel normal again mm-hmm. and having people who understood that have been right there because once you've been through it you just get each other so. right so I know that it sounds like there are some things that you wish you would have done differently on the day um, that Brayden was delivered but what are some of the do you have any I don't want to say positive memories but do you have any um, any cherished memories of your time with Brayden yeah, um, well, the hearing Pam tell Jenny that, you know, this is her job because that, that's, that's a special thing, you know. Yeah. That's something that I'm sure the other parent thinks about doing and the fact that she still got to do that, um, that's something that sticks with me. Um, the nurse got a lock of his hair that I would have never have thought to do that. And actually when she suggested it, I thought it was weird and didn't really want her to do it, but she did it anyways, which now I'm very happy because it's – the only physical thing that I have that is him. So, um, and then I think my father-in-law asking to see his hands because he wanted to see what his hands looked like. And mm-hmm. so those are, and, and just knowing that my family held him. I don't remember looking at them while they held him because I was afraid to see that. Um, but knowing that they all got their chance to hold him and that we had friends, our closest friends, um, see him and know that he existed and he was real and what he looked like. So, yeah. All right, Jess, I'm going to give you a little break here All right, for a thanks. second because you've, you've been in the hot seat for a minute. Um, back to you, Lindsay. Tell me about Ada Marie. Well, um, so she uh, was our fifth child, um, and... You know, it was kind of a surprise to get pregnant with her, which I know sounds funny because I'm an OBGYN. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we didn't really know, like, if we'd have another one, and we didn't really know what would happen. And um, and then we got her, and everything was great. I mean, I had three healthy pregnancies before. Our fourth is adopted. And um, so, you know, everything was fine. I never had any problems. And you don't really ever think you're going to be the person that does. And I did the first trimester screening. All that was perfect. Everything was fine. And then just one night after work, I had one of my friends do an ultrasound because I, I did want to measure the back of her neck, which is a measurement that we do in the first trimester. And I just wanted to see her. I hadn't checked on her for a while. And so my friend from the office just popped me in the ultrasound room one day after work and she started scanning and we both could just see something was wrong. But really, she was moving and she was perfect and she was kicking. Um, but the back of her neck was really thickened and her legs just, they looked a little bit twisted. We just weren't seeing them in the right plane. And so, of course, then my medical brain is reeling and I'm thinking okay well if it's just the one thing if one thing was wrong fine there's lots of explanations that can be totally fine but when two things start to be wrong that seems 
like something, a syndrome or something. This doesn't seem right. Um, and so I went home and told my husband and we kind of debated, well, you know, what do you do? You know, I was 12 weeks pregnant at the time, okay. you know, so there's, it's too early to do a lot of the testing. It's too, the baby's too small to see a lot of detailed anatomy on an ultrasound. And so what do you do? And so we kind of, we went back and forth like, well, we just wait till 20 weeks and do another ultrasound and see, or do we go to the university early and try to get more images? Mm -hmm. And we went back and forth, but eventually that's what we decided to do. So um, the first ultrasound was on a Wednesday. On Friday, we ended up going to the University of Iowa and having a more detailed ultrasound. And on that, um, we could instantly see the defects were really clear. She didn't really have an anterior abdominal wall, so her all of her organs were sort of attached to the placenta. She didn't really have an umbilical cord. Um, and so her body was just sort of twisted in half. Um, but she had all of her parts, and that was what was so hard. I mean, her face was perfect. It looked just like a baby's face you see on an ultrasound. She was sucking her thumb. She was kicking her legs. Even though they were twisted, she was still moving them. And so her, the, what she had was something called limb body wall complex. Okay. And it's always fatal. And um, it's just one of those terrible things that we don't know what causes it. And it's super rare. And it's not recurrent. And it's just horrible. Um, but they told us you know, she'll live until you deliver her and then she'll die. And so, of course, we left that appointment just totally reeling. And what do you do and where do you go from that? And so we decided that we were just going to keep her with us as long as we could. And so we prepared for what we thought her delivery would be. And so I called Jess and she helped me prepare all of those things. You know, we talked about, you know, we would have her cremated or would we have her buried and what would we do and who do we want to hold her and who would be in the room and just all of those things that that I was actually fortunate to have time to prepare for yeah um and just all of the things that that we could do um wrapping your head around not bringing your baby home is something that is impossible to do um but I was thankful that we knew, you know, a lot of women show up like Jess. They had no idea. They have a nursery. They have things prepared and planned. And so we, at, at least, I know I said there's no <laughs> at least in pregnancy loss, but I was thankful that we had some preparation and some time to just love her for when we had her. The thing that I was so surprised about is she died. Um, I knew she was going to die when she was born, but I was expecting to have time with her. You know, we were preparing to hold her when she died, and we thought maybe we'd have 30 minutes with her. And one day at work, just like Jess said, I just felt different. Something wasn't right. And I, I just didn't, I just could tell something was wrong. I didn't feel her. Something was, was missing. And so I looked, and she was gone. Her heart had stopped beating, and, and she died. And, and when, when was that? That How was far at along 16 weeks. That's 16 yeah. weeks, okay. So it's crazy to think. I only had four weeks where I knew, you know, and it was such a short amount of time. You know, 16 weeks is really not that long, but, you know, she was our baby, and we prepared for this lifetime with her, and mm -hmm. then what we had prepared for changed, and then that changed again. And so I was really thankful for Jess because she was with me the whole time, and... Um, my cherished memories, you were asking Jess about hers, but 
all of my cherished memories of Ada are because of Jess. Oh, wow. She, you know, she wrapped her up, and we didn't, we didn't see Ada because she was because of her defects and because she had died a few days before she was delivered. We just wanted to remember her the way that we remembered her, this perfect little baby. Um, but so she, and it sounds, I think probably to most people listening, it sounds like such a weird thing because she was in a container. But Jess wrapped the container in this sweet little pink knitted thing and brought her in so that I could hold her. And that meant the world to me. And so I got to hold her and my husband did, and my parents did. And we have pictures and handprints, and I have pictures of her little hands and feet and these beautiful things that that I would never have thought to do, and I mm-hmm. never would have ever known how important those things would be yeah. just to hold a container, but it was so important. And then Jess called the funeral home for us. I, I can't even imagine if we had to do that, that I can't even imagine doing that. And then she gave Ada to the funeral home and made all the arrangements. We didn't have to do any of that stuff. So it was not what we had expected or planned at all. But Well, and take me back a little bit because the first thing um, that stands out is that when you, had, when you did that 12-week ultrasound with your friend, the ultrasound tech, it must be so strange to go through that with a friend and you were probably so just lackadaisical about it. Like, Hey, let's, let's just yeah. do a fun little check. Yeah. I mean, that must've been so difficult for oh, your friend too. Oh, and my too. poor sweet friend, I know to have to tell me like, Lindsay, I think something's wrong. Right. You know? Oh, and she's so dear to me and she's walked with this through lot with lots of women, but right. yeah, when it's your friend that's right there with you, I mean, it's terrible. And then the next day, you know, after getting this news, you then have to go to work uh-huh. and maybe you delivered a baby that day. Maybe you cared for a pregnant woman that day, but life went on. Yeah. Yeah. That. How did you handle that? That was really, really hard. That was really hard. And I still don't really know how I walked through that. Um, I took care of people who had my same due date and... I ended up eventually delivering some of them, which some of them became some of my dear friends because they knew what I was going through. And I'm so thankful that I get to see their babies grow up. Mm -hmm. Of course, like all of them had girls and which is beautiful and heartbreaking at the same time. Um, I actually delivered five of my close friends' daughters from October until May um, that year, you know, that would have all been in Ada's class. And... It's beautiful because I get to watch them grow, but it's also so hard. Um, and so, yeah, I, I went back to work and I took care of women who were the same gestational age as I was who were preparing to take their babies home, and I knew that I wasn't going to bring mine home. And so that was really hard. And then it was really hard after Ada died, and I came back to work. And the, my first day back, I was on call, and I delivered all these babies, and it was just so hard. It was really hard. What got you through that? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no I don't know. I mean, I do I know that my job is a calling and and I am meant to do this job and I'm so thankful. Um, there's nothing else in the world that I would leave my kids for. I mean, this is I have the greatest job in the whole world and and I do know that. Um, so, and it is a gift to walk with women and so those moments were still really beautiful, um, mm-hmm. helping their families grow. Um, 
But it's an odd thing, you know, with my sorrow and their joy just right there in one moment, you know. It, it was really hard. And then to be in the midst of this project, how, um, how did your experience then shape the project moving forward? Because you know you have this idea and you have justice guidance, but now are you able to say, and this, and this, and what about this, and how do we, how do we improve this experience? Well, I definitely, <laughs> this project has definitely become more of like our baby. And, yeah. and it has been really nice for my husband because he's been, I don't think he would have ever really, I mean, he wouldn't have been against this project before, but I don't know that he would have felt so passionately about this project. Sure. Um, but he is all into this project too. Um, and it's been really healing for us. We've made this sort of our baby and it's been great to pour our energy into making this better for somebody else. If we can make this better for one family, if we can help ease someone else's burden, then it's totally worth it. And, and I think Jess and Jenny feel the same way. Well, and look what you're doing now. I mean, you were able to do it for your friend. Yeah. You know? Yeah, when you were talking about, um, you know, what it, would, what it was like for your friend who did that ultrasound, it just... Um, yeah, I mean, I can, I can be there for all these families and, and they're strangers and I just walk in there, but going through it with you was, it was, uh, I don't know, it was a lot harder for sure. Um, and, and to see you go through that and be as strong as you have is really amazing. And I love you. I love you too. <laughs> I'm so thankful for you. I can't help but think that this Bereavement Suite project is coming at this time when everyone is being more open about pregnancy loss. Everyone is being more open about miscarriage and postpartum depression and all of these things that we decided that we're going to talk about now. You know, it just feels like the timing is so, so right. Yeah. 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 And it sounds like the support for this project has been incredible. Oh, my gosh. Everyone, everyone we've talked to has been absolutely yes. What can we do to help? What do you need? I mean, the support Every, has been overwhelming. And everything's fallen into place at, at the exact right times. I mean, you know, for so long, us working together, we were just kind of like, well, what? How do we do this? Like, we have we have this idea or we have this vision or whatever, but we just couldn't quite, like, how do we make it happen? It seems mm -hmm. so overwhelming. And then all of a sudden, it, everything just clicked. Yeah. And um, I mean, of course, I'm going to say that Braden and Ada got together and <laughs> it was all just meant to be. And yeah. I know some people hate that saying, but <laughs> I'm, I mean, I don't know. I think it's a really good explanation for how everything has worked and and come about all at the right time so yeah it's yeah when you when you talk about loss and when you go through loss and and you talk to people who have experienced every, everybody wants to come up with a reason you know like well why did this happen why did Braden have to die why did Ada have to die and you know I don't I don't believe that like horrible things happen so that then like some greater good thing can happen you know I think Something bad happened and Braden died. Something bad happened and Ada died. But we can use those things for such good. And we can, you know, you can allow those tragedies to define you in a negative way or you can allow those tragedies to help you grow and to help mm -hmm. other people. And I'm just really thankful to be in a situation where 
I have the support that, that I had and that I'm in the community that I am in, you know, when we went through this, that, that we're here. Mm-hmm. Well, and to go off of that a little bit, not all families have, like, there's some families that I work with that their family members just refuse to acknowledge their baby. Um, you know, the, the mom wants to name the baby or talk about the baby or celebrate the baby and the family members just don't want to have anything to do with it because it's better to just not talk about it. And, um, you know, so for those families, obviously is another reason why we do this to make them know that you're not alone. And, you know, while we, why we, you know, we're sorry that their family can't be as supportive, but they have an entire community of other families who have been through it and that will acknowledge their baby and, and be there for them and celebrate special dates. Because I, for us, I know that that's one of the biggest things why we've been able to be as positive as we have, because every year on his birthday, we celebrate his birthday. The whole family comes over, our closest friends, like we have a party. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first year I remember thinking like, oh man, is everybody going to think this is weird? I want to sing happy birthday to him. And it was just kind of one of those things. I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And our whole family did it. And we've done it every year since then. So without that support, and everybody always acknowledges Brayden as one of our children. I mean, they always include him in any gift that they give us that's personalized or anything like that. So for us, we're extremely lucky that we have had that, but not everybody gets that. So I think that's another important thing about this project is to make those families who don't have that feel like they're still supported and that Mm -hmm. they can they can still celebrate their baby and and remember them so I love what you said about how people still include Brayden and your family thing I think that's still one of the hardest things that I struggle with and I mean it's only been a year since Ada died and and there's you know lost changes and and you grow and I'm sure how I feel now isn't going to be how I feel in five years from now but when people ask you how many kids do you have like, what do you say? And, and you get asked that question all the time. Yeah. And, and before we went through this, you know, you don't even notice how when you get asked that question. Right. But And for so many women, if they're, they had their first was a loss and now they're pregnant again and people always ask, well, is this your first? Well, what do they say? Right. Oh. I always say my answer is different every time. I've, I've told a different, I've given a different answer every time. Just depends what kind of mood I'm in. Of, of mm-hmm. course, now with my other children, if I don't include Brayden, <laughs> then they yell at me like, no, mom, remember, we have a big brother, you know, and oh. then then I have, then it's really awkward because yeah. then I have to explain <laughs> it. But, um, but yeah, in the earlier days when I was pregnant with Liam, is this your first pregnancy? And I, I just, I always tell families that I work with, like, whatever feels right to you. If it makes somebody feel comf- uncomfortable, that's okay because yeah. it's not yeah. there. Like, this is your answer. This is your story. You can answer however you want, even if it's different or even a lie. Yeah. Sometimes, I remember one time I w- went back to school and um, one of my teachers, I'd ran into her and she, she's like, oh, did you have the baby? And I, uh. of course, was like, yeah, I did. And she's like, oh, boy or girl? And I'm, boy. And in my head, I'm like, Jess, what are you doing? Like, how are you, where are you going to go with this? And she's like, how old now? And I'm like, gosh, uh, three weeks. I mean, I just kept going. And luckily, I never had to see her again because it was the end of the semester. But, um, you know, it's just what came out at that time. So, and it kind of felt good to at least acknowledge the fact that, yeah, I had a, I had a son. 
Um, and I didn't have to explain the sad part about it. Mm -hmm. So say whatever you feel like saying. Yeah, this year, I just, I couldn't figure out what to put on our Christmas cards. Yeah. So I just didn't send Christmas cards this year. <laughs> oh, maybe next year. But, you know, what do you say? And I don't know. It's a process, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I've never experienced a loss before. And so what's running through my head is like, what are people with good intentions doing that are adding to the hurt? You know, are there things that, like you're saying, with mm -hmm. the at least, yeah. you know, what are some things um, that people should and should not be saying? Don't start anything with at least. <laughs> yeah. If you say at least, just, just don't say it. Yeah. But um, I think things that you can say are just, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, another thing I think people say a lot is, um, let me know if you need anything or let me know. No, just do the thing. You yeah. just show up with a meal, show up to clean their house. Don't ask, you know, let me, don't, you know, tell me what I can do. Cause there's no way that they can even think about what they need. They have no idea. So mm -hmm. just show up. Don't ask any questions. Let them talk if they want to. Just the things that you can say are, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I am so sorry. Yeah. I think also as time goes on too, don't be afraid to talk about their baby with them. And obviously yeah. every person's different. So you, you're going to have to know whoever it is that you're trying to support, but don't acknowledge their baby. If, if that's something that you feel that they, you know, like some people will just want to forget about it altogether and you have to respect that and that's fine. But most parents, I feel like want to hear their baby's name and they want people to not be so, awkward about it like yeah. it happens and remember their due date if they had a mm -hmm. loss earlier in the pregnancy remember them because that's going to be a really hard day for them I'm thinking about you I just want you to know I remember your baby and birthdays holidays Mother's Day and Father's Mother's day, day too yeah I remember somebody sent us uh, Mother's Day cards with on what would have been our first Mother's Day and oh. um, that obviously meant a lot because yeah. this is a day about celebrating mothers but yet were we? Because we didn't have a baby to take right. to our Mother's Day celebration. Um, but we were acknowledged and recognized because we're extremely lucky and have really awesome friends. But um, yeah, remembering the important dates. And I think yeah. for me, every time in the earlier days, every time I heard Brayden's name. So say their name as many times yeah. as you can, I think. Yeah. Yeah. See, I think for me, I'm always the person going, I don't want to bring it up because what if they're having a good day today, you know? Right. Yeah. But maybe it's not about that. Maybe it's... No, because their they're they're good days are still going to anyway. be good if mm -hmm. you mention their baby, yeah. you know? that That's something that it does bring joy. It brings sadness too, but there's also joy. So I don't think it's ever wrong just to bring up their baby. And you're right. They're already thinking about it. It's never... It's never more than one thought away from their head. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it will help down the road, too, because even just tonight, I had a long-distance friend send me a text message and said, uh, my boys are playing Guess Who, and one of my sons said, oh, is your, is your guy Brayden? Oh. And she said, there's no Brayden on the game board. And she's like, but of course they went about their day. And she goes, but I had to text you because, you know, I just felt like he's always around, and we're not really, like, that close of friends either, but... I think because we've continued to make him a part of our lives and everybody else feels comfortable acknowledging him as well. It's like still eight years down the road, people are still like connecting, you know, mm -hmm. Brayden's name as my Brayden. And so I think 
every time you mention your friend's yeah. baby's name, I think will help for future, yeah. for their future grieving and healing and all of that. So, so one small positive of the suite is you get to say baby's name a lot. Yes. You get to talk about Ada a lot and yeah. Brayden a lot, and that brings you some happiness too. It does. I think one of the things that a lot of people experiencing loss worry about is that their baby's going to be forgotten, that no one's going to remember. This thing happened to me, and it was so impactful and so sorrowful and so hard, and the rest of the world just moves on. And, you know, yeah, everybody's maybe sad for a little bit, and then the world goes on, and you look around, and you think, oh, my gosh, how how did this happen? And I'm still here. But that is what's so beautiful is you know, I, I love to write and to talk about Ada and, and the suite. It does make me think that she won't be forgotten. A lot of people know about her and a lot of people will remember her. Um, I know Brayden and I never met him, but I know him and I will never forget him yeah. either. And so that is really special. So um, at this point, the money has been raised for the physical suite itself. And so now the goal is to keep funding the ongoing costs, and that includes the services for families who use the bereavement suite. Tell me about those. So there's lots of services. There's lots of training that we want to do. We mentioned, you know, training the nurses and the providers. There's some wonderful training opportunities every year so that we can make sure people feel really comfortable taking care of women experiencing loss and, and what to say and what to do. Um, and then resources, books, all of those types of things. And then obviously our wonderful bereavement doulas. We really want to be able to provide those for every single woman and family that walks through that suite. Um, I can tell you from personal experience that the services that they provide are invaluable um, and really life-changing, and um, we want every woman to have that. And that's the work that you've been doing now, Jess, is as a bereavement doula. Yes, and it's all volunteer work, So, yeah. um, which I'm... I love that I, I would never take anybody's money, to be quite <laughs> honest, but the goal is to have more bereavement doulas and to be able to help comp compensate them for their time because there are times where I'm up there for three days. Mm -hmm. There's times when I'm only there for three hours, but either way, it's, it's volunteer work. So um, the other bereavement doulas that we have um, that are going through the training, you know, they all have lives outside of that. So right. to be able to you know, compensate them for their time and, and doing that would be absolutely amazing. So is it heavy for you though? Sometimes I imagine, you know, it's important, important work, but it also, it, it probably weighs on you at the end of the day. It does. I think that I allow it to build up to me. I feel like I can do so many. And then um, luckily I have friends who not only have been through it, but also work in the birth world so I can vent and, and spill it and do like, how do you deal with these kind of things? Mm -hmm. And, um, but really, I don't know. I just, I'm okay with it. Like I'm, some people might not believe that, but it's very healing for me and yeah. I, it's a calling for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think knowing what I am doing for these families is, is enough to where, I, I don't let it bother me. So yeah. I mean, obviously it's emotional, but it's just the work that I do. It's just my job. Mm -hmm. So I'm blown away by the fact that this is not a normal thing in, in every hospital in every part of the country. This is something new that, yeah. that hospitals are starting to embrace. Yeah. I mean, and the history of, of obstetrics in general is 
um, very complicated and, and uh, lots of areas, but one of the areas is pregnancy loss. I mean, not too long ago, babies were just whisked away. You know, families didn't even see them because they thought that that was better. You know, if, if they don't have to see the baby, this is awful. How can we even wrap our heads around this? Let's just take the baby away. Um, and that will help them move on. Um, which turns out that's not the best thing at all um, and actually very traumatic. But, I mean, that was like 30 years ago. So that really wasn't that long. No. Um, you know, there are still places in this country where people share rooms. And there could be a mother who's lost her baby that's sharing a room with a mother and her newborn baby. And, you know, how horrible can you imagine? No. Um, so we still have definitely a far ways to come. Yeah. Um, we've come a long ways from the time when they used to just whisk the babies away, but um, we've got a lot of work to do. But this will be the only one of its kind in the Quad Cities yeah. and really almost in the region. Yeah. That's huge. That's really, be really, really important. really wonderful. What can people do to support this project right now? Well, they can go to the Genesis Foundation and they can donate to Braden's Fund. We founded Braden's Fund in honor of our sweet Braden. Um, and that all of the money from Braden's Fund will go to our birthing and bereavement suite and all of the services that we um, plan to offer in the suite. Dr. Kaiser told me about a cool thing you were talking about, about um, putting a garden on the roof kind of below the suite that was kind of like a, let's do this first and then wouldn't it be yes, cool if we did this? Yes, that is one of my, yeah. it's definitely one of my dreams. Um, Tell me about that part. I love gardening. It's something that I think is just really incredible to watch something grow and I think there's a lot of healing in that um, for many reasons, but I think it would be so beautiful to have a memorial garden. If you look out, the suite's going to be awesome. It's going to be so beautiful. Yeah. Outside the window is really terrible. It's so ugly, the view. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I hate it, and I just think, you know, these women are going to be in this room, and they're going to have this beautiful space, and if they happen to look out the window, it's a bit depressing. So my next dream is to make this beautiful memorial garden out there and then people could add to it you know they can buy a box in honor of their baby and that space can grow and it can be forever there um as a really beautiful beautiful space and ada's garden does have a nice ring to it i mean <laughs> oh, i'm just gonna throw that, that out there for the <laughs> second time now <laughs> i, I think it's it. an excellent idea i so appreciate you both coming in today and I appreciate the work that you're doing at the hospital because I think it's incredibly, incredibly important. And like you said, too many women know this feeling, you know, and um, so I think it'll be great. And I think um, um, I'm just I'm just thrilled that the Quad Cities is throwing their support behind this project. So I think it's wonderful. So thank you for your work and thank you for being so candid about your experiences as well. I know you're going to help a lot of people who hear this. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much to Dr. Day and to Jess Buntemeyer for sharing their stories and for helping us all better understand what a friend or a relative may be feeling in the face of a loss of a baby. And it was actually after our conversation that Jess reminded me it was eight years ago when we actually first met, and I interviewed her for a story shortly after Brayden's death. She and her wife Jenny sued after one of their names was removed from Braden's death certificate. The couple is legally married in Iowa. Jess carried the baby and was listed as the mother, while Jenny was listed as the father because there were no other options in the form. So when they got that form back, the death certificate, 
Jenny's name was left off of it and whited out. As a result of that lawsuit, during an already painful time, a judge ruled they would get a corrected death certificate for Braden, and for all other couples in Iowa, a gender-neutral form, yet another way that Jess and Jenny are honoring their sweet Braden. Now, I really debated whether it was appropriate to put a little Bachelor recap on this episode, but ultimately I figured it was time to maybe return to normal. It's been several weeks now of some pretty deep conversations on this podcast, so maybe it's time to just laugh a little bit about the Ridiculous Hometowns episode. So here's a little chat about week eight. It's the Bachelor Hometowns. Um, <laughs> is it recording yet? Yeah, it's recording. Oh, okay, well then never mind. Like Eminem at the Oscars after 18 years, it's Lauren Jackson. Guess who's back, 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 back again. Back in the podcast Woo! studio. We have taken quite the hiatus. Yes, it's we have. It's been a pause. As Abram would say, it's been a little minute. Oh, he says that? Yeah. What a cutie. We'll wait a little minute, Mama. <laughs> well, just uh, things haven't been adding up with our schedules and... Correct. There was nothing that needed to be recapped. We all agreed that all of these previous episodes that from the last episode we did to the current hometown episode that we're about to do, so, you guys, y'all had your own opinions. You didn't need ours. And Lauren came to me yesterday and said, hometowns is the time to get back on board. And it's so true. I agree. It's true. So we got back on board. We got back with the Instagram stories. And um, here we are. I literally just turned off the TV. Drove to work, and now I'm sitting in this chair. Like a hot so mess. So I am, I am freshly ready. Yeah, I do. I am a little bit flustered. I skipped the gym last night just to watch. So I'm, I'm prepped. Mm. I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready to go. Um, hometown Eps. We have the final three, everyone. Yes. Is this final three unexpected to you, Lauren? No, it's not. But I did predict on our very first podcast that, like, Vicky F. F. was so relatable and so cool and, like, kind of awkward and funny and that maybe she would be the Bachelorette because she seemed relatable. And she is relatable to a lot of crazy women. (laughs) Uh, But I don't think that she will be the Bachelorette. At this point, I do not believe that that is her path. I kind of wish it was. I would love to see all the men that come out for crazy women, just to give myself personally some hope. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> the entire Vicky F. Um, beginning of the date was trolling central. First of all, they bring out a second country singer. Yes, and like, these are both, like, <laughs> bottom-tier country singers. Like, I mean, obviously, they've been on the top charts. I guess it's not fair for me to call them bottom-tier as I sit here um, in the middle of nowhere doing nothing. Wearing but, a turtleneck. Yeah, wearing a turtleneck, yeah. Um, but hey, I like my outfit. <laughs> like yeah, it took you a minute. Um, I like my turtleneck. I love turtlenecks, you guys. Um, mock turtlenecks are my favorite. Anyway, they're just like these, like not big name country singers, really. Right. Like I mean, just Hunter these... Hayes. I think he is on the radio. I don't know about Chase Rice. Uh, they're both on the radio. I okay. actually have them both on my like phone. But do I have to stare at this gross chewed up piece of gum? This Denise day? wouldn't <laughs> let me chew gum during the podcast. Now, um, now there's this like rotten piece of wintergreen. Well, just like first off, it's not wintergreen. It's Eclipse. Um, and it's fresh, so I didn't want to throw it away. Anyway, oh, okay. so it's these funny, just like the country singers just make me laugh. You're going to put it back in your mouth? Yeah. Like freaking, <laughs> who's the I, girl from sh- Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory who sticks it behind her ear? Is it Veronica? Is that her name? Something with a V? Violet Beauregard? Maybe. No, that's the other one. That's, that's the, the, I want it. I want it. Um, let me look. God, this podcast is trash. Yeah, should we start over? All right, no. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I think we should. It's really not good. Neither one okay, of us is doing let's our refocus. best work. Okay, so Vicky F. They Veronica tr- Salt. Veruca. Veruca. Veruca Salt. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. I've been chewing this piece of gum for 17 months. Oh, that's a lot. 
It's a record. It, it's a world record. How does it not deteriorate? You know when you're chewing gum for too long and it gets like deteriorating? So yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're just like. It's like, it's literally deteriorating in your mouth. Mm -hmm. Okay, back to the batch. Anyway, yeah, these country go. singers are kind of like bottom tier country singers. And I think that really represents the bottom tier cast we have received And they were season. like, Hunter Hayes, you sing that one song about how things that are easy aren't good and things that are crazy are better. Yeah. We want you to troll Peter so hard. And they're both singing along like, I don't want easy. I, I want your crazy. <laughs> like, well, you're going to get it. And like a genie in a bottle, he rubs that magic Look, lamp. I would have preferred Christina Aguilera to come on. <laughs> Woo! Here comes the crazy right around the corner. It's a delight. It's a dream come true. Well, first off, I don't know why they had to blur out the X when they told yeah. her name. Like, just just show your face. If you're going to yeah. come on here and roast one of the contestants, if like if I'm Vicky F, I'd be like, show your face, homegirl. <laughs> Let me see it. I want to see your face as you talk about me like that. So that's a little... Yeah, I do think that was a strange choice because clearly she knew she was being filmed at that moment. It's not like there was some sort of secret no and she definitely on. had to like go to the bachelor producers or something or they came to her mm -hmm. but um my thing is is like they didn't really seem they keep saying peter's ex-girlfriend you know it didn't really sound like they were super exy no He's like he was they were very like surface they like, hooked oh, up in the that? gap bathroom when he bought that leather jacket the one time and that <laughs> oh was my it God, yes, he that like was so funny. didn't even know where oh, she was is that from the same jacket you wore oh that time i was with my mom yeah oh that was so classic peter yeah and oh, no peter dumb. we my all know mom. the bachelor gave you those out that outfit we know that you would not be wearing that well that's his like standard look either he wears like the beige pullover or he wears the leather jacket that's his only yeah, and I think look. they come from The Bachelor. Luke. I don't think that's what's in his oh, closet. Oh, for sure. No, no, not at all. His closet? Mm. Everything in his closet it's is like probably like free Delta t-shirt that he got <laughs> like at pilot school. It's been bothering me for weeks that I feel like he's very sweaty. And I don't mean yes. sweaty in like a Josh Murray kind of a way where he's like athletic and kind of like, you know, no. like his blood kind of pumps a little hot. Like... He's bloated. <laughs> he's he seems puffy. puffy. He seems yeah. like he's eaten fried foods for every meal for the past 47 days. Yes. And he's puffy and he's sweaty and he appears unwell. Yeah, he does. He needs like a jade roller, a little anti-puff yes. cream. Like he's, he Imagine does what you could sweaty. do with a jade roller on his face. I think really? you'd see some contour come <laughs> back. Yeah, he, he really is not looking his best. No, because... I, I, at any turn, you think that the producers were just to give him a dab, dab, dab on the forehead. A little powder for this man. It's weird. No, he's, well, he, yeah, and it's not even like we can just say he was sweaty from hometowns. Like, he's always sweaty. Yeah, I think it's really more the bloating and the puffiness yeah. that bothers me. It's like, I don't know. Well, yeah, he has like this chubby. I mean, chubby I don't hydrate as well as I could. <laughs> no, me neither. But he has this chubby head and like this little tiny little body. He looks like Pongo. <laughs> oh, my God. When him and Madison are in the <gasps> Auburn jerseys and he's like, Oh, Look at my little self he in this looks. Auburn jersey. He like, literally looks, looks like, like we cute. put. He looks like we put that jersey on Abram. Like just like a <laughs> just like a little, a little boy. Yeah, like it's a just, little big. My arms don't fill it out totally. And he definitely had no idea who that basketball player was. Somebody no. had to inform him. <laughs> that was Charles Barkley. Yeah, like he definitely didn't know. And even the axe throwing, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, you can't even... Come on. Like, you can't even get the axe in the... Anybody, any Joe Schmo can do that. Like, yeah. what are you talking about here? This was not his finest episode. No, I he, no. found him to be the peak of indecisiveness. 
the peak of, it's like I don't think he walked in and like, I don't think he's directly lying to these parents or manipulating anyone. No. I just think he just wants to be a very lovable person in yes. front of all of these parties involved. And he has no idea how terrible of an idea that is. Yeah, I guess starting with Hannah Ann, Hannah Ann's dad is the love of my life. I would like to marry that so? man. Yeah, I found him to be great. Okay. Uh, he literally looked at Peter with pure disgust and pure <laughs> uninterest. And he's like, I can't wait for my daughter to be out of this phase. Like, that's what he looked like. He was like, okay. Would you, if you were Hannah Ann, had pulled out the receipts of the letter and been like, hmm, look at he wrote this to me? No. I thought that was so strange. I did too. Well, so everybody's roasting Hannah Ann on social media for coming out with this fake country accent whenever we went to Knoxville. But that happens to me too. Like, when I go to Texas, yes. I'm real twanging, twanging and banging. I could see that happening. Um, so, so I'm going to stand up for Hannah Ann right there. I feel bad for her. Okay, that's for fine. That. I'm comfortable um, with that. But, uh, no, I wouldn't, I mean, I guess I don't know how close she is to her parents, but, I, like, look, mom, like, maybe she was just trying to show them, like, don't be so mean to him or something, like, maybe they yeah. really don't like him, or maybe they're just, like, really not on board, so she was, they were trying to show him, her, you know what I mean, like, she's trying to. Okay, so I took a brief screenshot of the letter, because I think the things on it, first of all, I will give him this, the things that are on it, all right, all you can see is the top five on my screenshot. Okay. Number one of the things I love about you, from Peter to Hannah Ann, how intentional you are. Ew. So my friend texted me and said, what does that even mean? Right. Okay? I have no idea. The only thing I can think that it means is that you know what you're looking for when you open the fridge. Um, intentional I mean? is like when I storm in here and I know exactly what I'm going to say when I yell at someone kind of thing. Yeah. Like intentional. intentional. I, I don't know. But is that like, like a really wonderful characteristic to be noted. That sounds like a word that the Bachelor producers gave them mm -hmm. to use, you know, whenever they're just trying to describe the process. And it's a, it's a journey and it's an experience. It's not a process. Number and two, how you give me butterflies every time I see you. Fine. Okay. Peter, I don't need to hear about your indigestion. <laughs> <laughs> your IBS? Okay, Peter, try again. Because <laughs> what do you mean? Like, that's the what you love about me? and the butterflies Don't you? What if this was like your vows? Like, wouldn't you want to hear that, like... I love, like, the person you are, or, like, I would want to hear things about me, not, like, what I'm doing to you. That's You don't love that about me. Oh, that's a good point. You're yeah, just yeah, getting yeah. butterflies when you see me. Like, well, that's not about me. Okay, so do you like this one? Number three, how artistic you are? No! Like, what does that even mean? I don't know. Has she, like, made potteries? Is she a painter? We missed oh, that. Yeah. Hannah Ann, draw me a been... stick figure. Let me see what's up. Number four, the giggle you make when you think something is really funny. Okay, we all giggle when we think something is funny. So it would be different if he was like, the giggle you make when you're eating your spaghetti or something that you genuinely have no idea that you do. Like, you wrinkle your nose when you're sleeping. Okay. But we all laugh. We all giggle. You know, like, what, Peter? Like That's an excellent point. These are gen general and stupid. All right, so here is another one that um, I think is interesting. Number five, that you have a name for every dress you've worn. That's just weird. But also, clothes do come with names if you're buying them from, like, nice places Sometimes or boutiques. They do. Sometimes when um, Turner's trying to describe a dress to me, he'll, like, be, like, he'll have a name for it. And then so the name kind of sticks. But what girl, yeah, like, I'll be, like, oh, you know, my little, I, I can't even think, my share dress or my, like, Stevie Nicks dress. Like, yeah. we all have little jokes like that. But, like, every single dress, what are you wearing today, Denise? What are you, what are you wearing? Oh, your your black blouse anchor dress? Like, what, what do you mean? How do you have a dress yeah. name? 
my I little gray turtleneck here. Train chain shirt. Yeah, and I have my um my cowgirl belt on, <laughs> and my favorite black booties. Like yeah, like what do you? How do you have a dress? I mean, I guess that one. If she does well, that, only, I guess if yeah, he notices, only, I guess that's cute. The only thing I can think of is my Rebecca Pearson coat. <laughs> oh man, y'all, Denise has a Rebecca Pearson coat. Um, Hashtag but, this is us. Yeah, this is us. She literally <laughs> looks like seventies Rebecca Pearson, not losing her memory of Rebecca Pearson. <laughs> cute Rebecca. Too soon. Um, <laughs> I didn't watch last say? night. Um, so in my screenshot, it's kind of, um, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I think number seven is something about when you put your legs around me when we hug. Ew. You doofus, that's just on The Bachelor. And everybody does, does that does except for Madison, hug. have you noticed? Madison is not a leg yeah. hugger. She will not put her, her parts that way. Um, your willingness to try anything with me. Well, of course, dummy, you're on The Bachelor. Yeah, you're like, gonna be like, mm. no, I don't want to look at alpacas <laughs> in Peru. <laughs> like, what is she supposed to say? So, I mean, to me, the letter is sort of a big deal because he didn't give anyone else a letter. But it, he only did that because Hannah Ann gave him one. Like, oh, would he yeah, have specifically true. wrote her a letter for his own, like... Yeah, maybe not then, huh? No, I don't think it's specific to Hannah Ann at all. I think it's like, hey, you did this for me, so I'm going to do it for you, but it's going to say some really general things. <laughs> It'd be like if you were like, Lauren, you look so cute today. I love your sweater. And I'm like, oh, thanks, Denise. Like, you look cute too. But I don't, yeah. you know, like, I didn't say anything specific. I didn't really give you any mm -hmm. details. Like, I believe that he enjoys Hannah Ann's company, but I get no clues about if he's really vibing or feeling or falling in love with Hannah Ann. Peter's in love with whoever is in love with him. Clearly. A hundred percent. If you love Peter, he loves you back. Like, he does not genuinely care about any of these people, I feel like. And I didn't think he fit in with any family. No. Any, no family was I like, yeah, that's Peter's family. First off, Vicky F. hired that family. <laughs> that family is not her family. Did you see them at the end? Oh, God, I didn't pay attention because I was like, wait, they're really not going to have a date right now. Yeah. Like, literally over these vague accusations, they're not going to have a date at this moment. And right. And she's just going to, like, hang out with her family and then leave. But <laughs> like, so did you see the, the family at the end? They were like, we can't wait to meet Pilot, Pilot Pete. Oh, and the dad I guess was like, I didn't translate that to be her family. I was just yeah. like, oh, these, these folks. That's literally Victoria F.'s family. And it, uh, it if that was anybody's family, that was Hannah Ann's family. Like, that does yeah, not... I wasn't looking at them close enough. Google them, because they are okay. not her family. She hired that family. They are imposter families. I'm calling it now. Okay, so seriously, Dad, Hannah Ann's dad is like, don't tell her you love her. Don't tell her you love yeah. her. Next thing you know, they're sitting on a wicker couch, and he's like, um, so I love you. I love you. Don't tell Pops. <laughs> and she's like, okay, yay! Okay, great! No. Next thing you know, we're standing in front of the state capital of Iowa. Woo! Des Moines. Howdy, Des Moines. Okay, so... Kelsey, in all of her wisdom, okay, takes the boy from California to a winery. Yeah. Do you think they got to pick these dates, or do you think that they were like, what's something fun to do in your state? And Kelsey's like, oh, we can sip on grapes. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, at least for me, if somebody was like, you know, let's go to Texas, like, what are you going to do? I'd be like, okay, what is fun? Like, oh, whoa, yeah. whoa, Like, if somebody was coming to Davenport, Iowa, where would we take them? Okay, well, they, I wouldn't bring them here because this isn't my technical hometown. Okay, but do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like, but I'm just trying to think. Okay, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's say Lauren Jackson, you're on The Bachelor. Woo! Pick me, everyone. Okay. Your hometown is here. My Where hometown is Iowa? Yes. Okay, well, let's that's not true. Let's make it but, here. Yes. Okay. But let's um, just say. Um, what is something fun to do here? And, it, and Okay, so when are they shooting this? This was November, Wolf. Right? Um, like, you have to take them to, like, ski snow stars. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, you know, you just try to think of 
things that are like fun to do. It's like when your you know your relatives visit, you try to take them to the okay. best places and show them the best routes. So you're gonna walk around the Claire. Then I think you should um, do a little ride on the Celebration Bell. Yes, um, we're gonna have and to go on the cute. River Cruiser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little yeah, a little channel channel. No, because it's November. You can't. Oh, we can't go on the Channel Cat. Is the Celebration Bell running? Probably not. I don't know. We're gonna have to go to like Wide River Winery or some kind of breweries. We're gonna right. have to go to a lot of breweries. I don't know. I like. I don't like close-ups of feet and like Pete's gross little sweat feet in that yeah. in mm-hmm. those grapes. There were way too many close-ups for my liking. I just I yeah, I just think it. that she was just like, let's think of something fun, but that definitely didn't feel like specific to Iowa. To whereas yeah. like she never really explained this is a cool place because right and like axe throwing is not specific to Knoxville, Tennessee. But her dad, she explained like my dad's a lumberjack, like my dad is a lumberyard yeah. man. Um, which is very specific to Tennessee. And then, you know, Madison's like, we're going to come to the basketball court where my dad coaches. Right. And I loved that. I thought that was so cool. I mean, it was a horrible date for Peter because he's not a man. But, <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. If you play if you don't play sports, you can still be a man. But no, not my just, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're not my man. But, like, if the girl can shoot a hoop better than the man, it's an issue, in my personal opinion. Um, so Kelsey says that she's in love with him. Which she's been saying since the day she met him. <laughs> so... I'm real confused on that one. Like, I, I definitely think Kelsey is one of the more sane ones and the more mature ones. Like, she's not as young as the other right. girls. But I also find her to be a little emotionally unstable. Um, so what was Peter's response to her saying I love you? He says, keep being you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> wow. Yikes. Wow. Talk about an axe to the heart. Yeah, really. Good thing he knew how to keep throw him. being throw you. Him. Wow. I'm going to start saying that. Keep being you. You know what I mean? Right, yes. Like, Hey, um, thank you for shopping at CVS Pharmacy. Have a great day, and I'll go keep being you. Yeah, you just, you, it's like McKenna, love wins, and I will not let you treat me this way. <laughs> I will persevere, and I will be great, um, and I will continue to make TikToks on Instagram because love wins. Like, that's how I felt. Like, he took a page from McKenna's book there. Whoa, we are missing the best part of the Iowa date. What? Eat. The Crab Rangoons. Oh, okay. Let me just, let me start off by okay. telling you guys Go. that Denise loves Crab Rangoons. I love them. A sucker for a Crab Rangoon. Rangoon dip from hy V. sucker for it. Love that. Yeah. Loves Crab Rangoons. It's creamy. It has the perfect amount of salty and sweet. It goes great on a, on a flatbread, a chip, a tortilla. I enjoy it. Non- oh. <laughs> Maybe like one crab rangoon will do it for me, but I'm an egg roll gal till the day yeah, I you die. Really do prefer an egg roll. I love a good egg roll, but it's hysterical to me because I've never met anybody who loves crab rangoons as much as Denise loves crab really? rangoons. Really? Yeah, I've, I've had them, and, and I know people that really like them. Yeah. But my, like my family, like my dad loves them, but like for some reason you are a crab rangoon. This is interesting that you've noticed this about me. Yes, hmm. you're a ride or die. Like they should endorse you. So for Peter to say that he's never had a crab rangoon, I'm sorry, what? I just love that the family has made them available because she loves them so much. Yeah. And here's the huge plot hole, okay? You're telling me that this homeboy, this pilot Pete, is a pilot, works for Delta, flies in and out of some of the biggest hubs in this country, and he's never stopped at a Panda Express? Yeah, like you're telling me that you've never had a crab rangoon. Like, like, are you kidding? They are not some, like, foreign delicacy. <laughs> like, it's a crab rangoon. You've had a version of them at some point in right. your existence. Unless he just maybe doesn't like Asian food, that would be my only, like, understanding as to why. Like, right. if, you don't, if you don't like that kind of food, then, yeah, you wouldn't have one of their appetizers. I'm also concerned, though, because let's say it really was his very first crab rangoon. 
that Rangoon's been sitting out on the table for hours. It's not going to be the best one that no. he's ever had. And so I feel like he needs another shot at it. Oh, I don't know. The next time he's flying from LaGuardia to basically wherever. To Atlanta. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, Stop at one of those st stupid little restaurants. Everyone ha You get the beef broccoli, which I'm sure he gets the number one every time. No, you know he gets the that. orange chicken. Everybody who gets oh, orange chicken yes. is a newbie to Asian food. <laughs> Oh. So he gets the orange chicken, and what, does he decline the side? Yeah, I guess. he's Sick. Maybe he's an egg roll guy. Sick. But We're even not me. not compatible right there. Me, even me as an egg roll, guy, egg roll gal myself has had a crab rangoon. See? But um, do you feel like he didn't like it? Because I definitely think he didn't like it. Well, he was just like, eh, like oh, it's so good. Eh, eh. I'm so glad I'm learning all about you, Kelsey. In <laughs> Iowa. Like, okay, well, crab rangoons are not specific to Iowa. Like... Definitely oh God, that not. Was so embarrassing. No, I but that was the hottest anything, family. Right? She had the oh, well. Madison had yes. a nice, a nice looking family too, except for her doofy looking dad. Yeah. The, the the children were really cute though. Um, and I it, one of her sisters' names was Mary Michael, and I know a bunch of Mary Michaels, so it just like really? made me laugh. Is that yeah. A thing? yeah I, I guess so. I was like Mary Michael. Like, do I know you? Like, <laughs> like what if I knew Madison's sister? That'd be so fun. That's funny. Yeah. Um. No. Kelsey, hot mom, mm -hmm. Kelsey, hot sister, and then this sweaty pilot over here who's never had an app airport appetizer. Yeah. <laughs> you do not try answer. again. No. Um, and doesn't respect champagne. Doesn't respect gas station Andre. Doesn't even so, get it. No. Doesn't understand how much that means to her. No. Um, no, I think you could tell that he wasn't vibing with Kelsey. I 100% Throughout agree. the date. Like, you could totally tell. Like, if Victoria's date would have gone fine like say that they had the concert and then they went to dinner and she just even if he had some awkward like family interaction i think he would have still picked victoria yes. over i think he's been vibing with victoria since day one for some unknown reason they argue they've argued the past four episodes well i don't even i wouldn't even call it arguing i would literally call it like A vicky mood. vicky like do you do you love me? Like do you do you have any feelings for me? Why why are you always just like <sighs> Peter like really? <laughs> I can't even handle this like Peter. Like, Peter. Like then she ah. just like reaches back and grabs her hair and she's like I don't I mean like <sighs> I'm so done. I can't do this. I love when she looks at the producers. I know you're listening. I got to go. I can't do this. I'm like okay. <laughs> Um, I love it, though. I love how she skated out of that lie. This is a horrible thing, but I would have done the same thing. I would have been like, how dare you bring this up in front of me right before we're about to meet my family? Like, knowing damn well that I probably did do whatever she was being accused of doing. Like, she didn't even want to hear the details. You know what I mean? She could, I mean, she could have whipped out a, an excuse quick out of her butt, like, oh, yeah, that girl really doesn't like me. Her boyfriend left her for me. Or just, you know, she could have pulled out yes. any kind of excuse. Because even if the girl was telling the truth and Victoria F. did do some bad things, which is what it sounds like because she didn't, uh, she was just like, you know what I mean? Like, when somebody's guilty, like, Abram, did you take mommy's puffies? <gasps> no? How dare you ask me that? Like, you right. you skate around it and I just found it to be hysterical. Or you'd be a little more confused, like, what did she say that I did? Go ahead and tell me. I'd love to know what I did. Right. You know? Well, but instead, she's like... She 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 wasn't denying anything, and there wasn't anything even to deny specifically. No, like if she it said, was a watch out, right? And 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 even when the girl wanted to give more details, it was just like, well, you know, there have been some relationships that have ended. It's like, yeah, oh. and yeah, you're okay. See, I would have been annoyed. I think if I was Vicky F too, I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like we we've had all these problems. We just had a nice concert date. Like, we're trying to have a nice time. I'm trying to get my attitude at issue out of here. And you're going to come in here and ask me a question about some girly off the street who said, what about me? What'd she say? Oh, mm, those are not accurate facts. Come correct. Don't you fight 
for anything. Yeah, considering I've never I just seen fought you fight 150 girls to be here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just fought the entire United States to get on this show. Yeah, I fight for you, Peter. And then she Try again. She delivered the classic. Oh, really? Never. Haven't I? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, good one, Peter. <laughs> but I just think like. She fights like a twenty-two-year-old, and I love everything. No, second of I mean it definitely was ridiculous. <laughs> but like, I don't think she should have just been like, "No, Peter, like I didn't do that. Like that's not what I did." I, I don't, I, I think what she said was fine. Like I, what was she supposed to be like? No, Peter, I didn't break up any relationships. Like I, I please come meet my mom that I hired and I love you. And like, what was she supposed to say? I would have, I would have been irritated as all get out too. I'd have been like, "What? What now? Oh, okay." Okay, some girl said I did what? Mm, got it. <laughs> I, w- I wish she would have dropped the mood thing on him again. Been like, yeah. oh, look, Peter, it's another mood. Yeah, like, okay. But she's also <laughs> in a mood, too. But I saw a lot of people on social media being like, Victoria F's a psycho, a psycho. And like, yeah, she's definitely not doing well. But neither is Peter. Like, why are we acting like Victoria F is the only flaw in this relationship? Correct. Peter is also a flaw. Like, they are toxic. She is sitting here telling him, please send me home. Please, just get me out of here. I don't want to do this anymore. Correct. And he's like, but baby, we can do this. I love you. Like, he is, like, so hung up on her that he's not reading the signs that she wants to be done. It's not worth it to her. Right, right. So why would she bite her tongue and say, no, Peter? Like, why would she fight for Peter? Why would she answer any of his questions? She doesn't want to be with him. No, No, I don't think she does at all. So I'm just, yeah, like, so why on earth would she, like, I don't know. I think how she responded was fine. I mean, yeah, it probably could have been done in a more mature way. Right. But I would be irritated, too. I'd be like, oh, what are you coming with now? Well, and, and, okay, so how can he possibly pick her after skipping the hometowns? Just imagine if your family was the one whose hometown had he had skipped due to some like argument. Do you think they'll be like, "Yay, in two more weeks they'll be engaged." Can't wait. Right. Like, like they cannot overcome that. Like hurdle. your mom comes outside and sh- you're crying because your bachelor on national TV just left you out. I would be I'd be mad that on he just curb. did that to me on national television. Right. I'd be like, "Can we talk about this later?" You know, like, "Can you not embarrass me like that on national TV in front of my family?" Right. Because when I come back to you like the puppy dog I am, I'm going to look stupid. Like he, he made her look dumb on TV. Yes, I agree. And he's now made the impression of himself in front of her family basically the worst it could have ever been. Right. Even worse than telling Hannah within four seconds, I love you, after the dad told her. Or telling Madison, I can't answer that question. Madison's dad, that he can't. Like, that is not what you say. If my dad is asking you that, like, you better come with some serious things to say. Like, can you, um, right? Like, could you imagine someone saying that to your, Turner coming up to your dad and being like, I can't promise you that I care about her, but in two weeks I might propose to her. Like, try again. I love how the parents are just not here for Peter's BS. And I agree. Is it important to you for your future husband to speak to your stepdad before um, you get engaged? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I would definitely want my stepdad to, um, to to have a relationship with him. I would want him to like him. Because, like, all the men in my family, like, they go on fishing trips and hunting trips, and I would want my man yeah. to, like, be included in that. Um, I don't necessarily think you need to, like, ask for permission to marry me, though. But I, I think a conversation about, hey, I want to do this. Like, I hope we have your blessing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it doesn't yeah. have to be like, oh, your dad said I can't propose to you kind of thing. But, like, right. yes, I definitely think it would be – I like those old school traditional values in that sense that, like, I would want 
Wouldn't you? Did you? Yeah, Turner did. Yeah. Turner did to my dad. Yeah, he, um, he, I think, I must have been, like, inside or something, but he, like, took him, my dad, out to the garage and acted like he wanted to ask him a question about one of the cars. <laughs> and I think he just said something along the lines of, like, gosh, I need to ask him to tell this story again. Um, but I know he was like, hey, like, want your blessing or whatever. And um, I think my dad, like, made some, like, phony sign of the cross. was just like, ah, you're blessed. And, like, well, got himself out of that awkward situation. Yeah. And Turner and my dad, like, get along just fine and always have. Right. But I think my dad just, like, felt awkward in that moment. But it was still something I wanted Turner to do. And I think Turner wanted to do it for himself, too. Yeah, my sister's husband talked to my dad and my mom, um, and he because he kind of felt the need to ask my mom too, since my stepdad is my stepdad. Yeah, he you know like and my mom did a lot of the raising of me and my sister, Um, but he didn't really ask. He just kind of told him like, just so you know, I'm proposing to your sister to Kirsten. But I mean, like he had been in the family for like five years. Like, what did it matter? Because yeah, it's not about the permission or the blessing. I think it's sort of just like a like a friendly heads up, just like a hey. I hope, yeah, I'm doing this. Like, I hope you like it. I don't know. It can definitely be however your vibe is with your right. with the girlfriend's parents. But I definitely I think it's respectful. I, I think do too. People get bent out of the sh- out of shape. Like it's some sort of like patriarchal. I need my father to release me and for I don't fourteen think so. cows. Or I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't no. think of it like that at all. And I almost think that because um, I remember it must have been maybe like two seasons ago where everyone really went haywire over the whole concept of the blessing. And I'm like, wait, hold on. What if you, in 20 years, have a daughter who doesn't want there to be a blessing given? Like, what yeah. if your husband does want that? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you're forgetting what it's like to be the parent in the situation. Right. Maybe it's not about you. Well, and it's Maybe just it's like, about your folks. It's just kind of like walking down the aisle with your dad, and he kind of hands you off to your new husband. Like, yes, that's very... like. But it's not that... That's not. It's not meant to be literal. You know what no. I mean? It's just kind of like... I just think it's like a... Yeah, I think it's really respectful to your parents and just right. kind of like keeping them in the loop about the next big step in your life. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it doesn't bother me at all, but I have pretty traditional values when it comes to like marriage and relationships and things like that. Yeah. I agree. Me too. Um, so, but yeah, I just found like his responses to Maddie's dad, Mm -hmm. like were not good, especially because they are so religious and like, I can't believe Maddie has not told Peter though. Maddie is messing up. She needs to have told Peter like to save all of this until the end, like girly poo. This is not good. Here, so this, this, I'm going to get deep on you again here. I, I don't care either way about saving yourself before marriage. Like, I, I have no opinions on the topic. Like, no, it's whatever. Like, I don't, I really don't care. I think it's a personal decision. But The Bachelor is one place where it makes it the biggest liability, a huge albatross around your neck. And I think that in itself is a crummy message that, like, it's this thing that has to be dealt with. And you have to talk to him. And now you're on the bed with your mom. And you're discussing it. And have you been honest with him about your intimacy? And it's like, none of this would look appealing to a 13-year-old who's trying to decide what their, like, overall game plan is going to be. Right. Like, do I keep this purity ring that my parents gave me? Or do I take it off? Overall, this situation looks awful. Um... I don't, yeah, like, if that's something that you chose to do, I think she should have been proud of it and, and talked about it from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, like, it seems like she has kept it a secret, but here's my thing. When Maddie tells him, like, I can't move forward if you sleep with another girl, homegirl, do you realize that you went on windmill, he, four rounds in the windmills <laughs> bachelor season, and now you're telling him that I he know. can't sleep with another girl or he can't. Why didn't she bring it up last week during their religion conversation? I have no idea. That's why I'm like, do you think the producers told her to save it? Like, save that nugger, nugger for the finale? Because, like, 
what else is there? Right. Like, because Vicky F., we already knew she was a psycho. She's been carrying the show. She's really been carrying the team on her back, and I bet she's exhausted. <laughs> Poor gal. I feel for her. All us crazy girls have to unite. I understand Vicky. Um, I'm kidding. I'm not as crazy as Vicky. Um, but, yeah, I don't know what, what Maddie is doing. I think, but I think Peter is going to, like, want to pick her. I don't. I don't care who he picks. Like they are all horrible choices. Yeah. And and when he said he goes um, at the beginning of the hometowns, he was like, "I'm so excited because one of these four is my wife." It's like, oh, sweet Peter. Like, no, they're not. No, they're not. Not one of these four women is his wife. No prediction. Not a single one. And not even to be on this season was meant to be Peter's wife either. But I don't think that any of Peter was not meant for any of these women either. And everyone's like, Hannah no. Brown, come back, Hannah Brown. Hannah Brown deserves better than Peter. Yeah. Like, she does. I don't know. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying Peter is a horrible guy by any means, but I think he's a child. I think he needs a minute. He needs, he a, needs a little minute. minute. <laughs> like, he's, he's definitely having a hard time. I think he hates his life. I do not think he's enjoying his Bachelor season whatsoever. No. Nor is no. America. And he's not going to enjoy it by the end either because I imagine he's just getting roasted. I mean, if you and I virtual nobodies are roasting him, yeah. he's getting destroyed. Absolutely destroyed. Pub. Okay, so I asked people on my Instagram who's going to win. And Wattis goes Hannah Ann. Um, my friend Erica says Hannah B. <laughs> <laughs> no, Hannah B no. deserves better. She says, um, I actually think it'll be Madison. Um, John doing things, 365, friend of the pod. Uh, Hannah Ann wants fame. Veronica girl is a B word. Veronica. <laughs> this is your brother, right? Yeah. Other girl, too much Jesus, tie. <laughs> <laughs> too much Jesus. Um, Haley says Hannah Ann, although I'd prefer Madison, and we have another vote for Madison. So basically everyone's nonplussed with any of them. Okay. Here's my predictions. Mm -hmm. I think Peter is going to want to pick Madison. And okay. she's going to... She's going to bow out because he obviously sleeps with somebody. Um, says, Madison's dad looks like Elf on a shelf. <laughs> he does. Oh, my God. Everyone go look at that. I told you okay. he was doofy looking. Yeah, I'm going to do a little side by side my Instagram of Yeah, Elf, Elf on the Shelf. shelf. <laughs> <laughs> that's hysterical, Elizabeth. Okay, that's that's the funniest thing Liz has ever said. That's a dream. Um, so I think Matt, he's going to want to pick Madison, but she's going to say no, and she's going to leave, and that's going to be this don't let her go and, like, all this devastation. Like, I think the don't let her go is going to be about whatever girl your heart wants. Like, don't yes, let her it's go. It's not going to be a specific person. It's no. going to be her. Yes. Follow your heart and bring her home to us. Yes. It's not going to be, um, like, they're not talking about somebody specific. I think Peter wants to pick Vicky F., I think he wants that relationship to work so badly. Because they're so toxic. Yes. And because he loves a cry and he uh -huh. loves, like, the, the fight. And, and I the bet battle. they would have some passionate fantasy sweet time because they hate each other so much. Yeah. Very clearly. But he does. <laughs> he would have sent her home by now if he did not want that to work so That's badly. That's true. And, like, she clearly just needs somebody to not hate her. <laughs> so she's just like, okay. Um, so I think he wants to pick Vicky F. I don't think he will pick Vicky F because I, I don't think he can. I don't, I feel like almost like the producers are yeah, like, no. no, like you can't pick her. Like no, she's. Vicky F needs to come and be the star of the show of not just VIP, yes. but Summer Games. Did you hear that uh, Summer Games Did I on? hear that Summer Games? Yes, I did. Don't you wish that we could get some Chris Harrison confessionals? Don't you think he could pop in there and be like, these guys, like wild. Okay. In the year 2027. Chris Harrison comes out with his tell-all book, mm. and he is going to spill some tea. The tea. What's the tea, sis? I wish Chris Harrison could be The Bachelor. 
Oh, God. <laughs> Why? Because I don't think he'd be able to stop it. You know what I mean? Like, he's so, like, regimented and... I deliver things with my hands. But that's his job. He's not. Right. We see him in his job. He's not. Yeah, we don't but see I don't think personally. all of a sudden he'd be able to like lay back in a Hawaiian shirt and be like, I don't know. I mean, anything can happen. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> okay, fine. Um, uh, Bachelorette, anybody in this crew standing out to you? No. And that's like, I cannot figure it out for the life of me. I think he's going to want, I think he's going to want to pick Madison and she's going to leave. So he's going to pick Hannah Ann and he'll be fine with it. And, like, Hannah Ann will be fine with it because she's so young. I don't think she'll want to stand up for herself. Like, I wouldn't, probably. I'm just around her age, too. Um, so maybe Maddie would be the bachelor? I no, snooze. You think she's too snooze? First of all, needs a smoothing treatment. <laughs> On, before we make any wild moves like bachelorette. Yeah, we need some keratin. Needs a smoothing treatment on her hair. Some sort of anti-humidity spray. Maybe a heat protectant. I don't know. Maybe a little trim. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. We're just spitballing here, people. <laughs> that would need to happen first. Not going to happen. Number two, prediction. Okay. What if they did a Hannah Ann, Hannah Beast hybrid season throwback to Caitlin and Britt? I don't think that Hannah B would agree. I think Hannah B would be like, I, I deserve my own. Like, okay. Hannah B is okay. the star of The Bachelor right All now. Right. There is a whole season right now with a whole, like, she is irrelevant in this season. Like, she's not a girl. She's not a contender. And everybody's still talking about Hannah B. Okay. No one cares about all these right. new girls. We all still care about Hannah B. And I don't think she would sign up for anything that wasn't all about her. Okay. okay. Um, and if she did, I would be disappointed. Um, I don't know who The Bachelorette is going to be. How about Kendall from Grocery Store Joe, former relationship? No. No. I think it's going to have to be a girl from this season. They're not going to change it all up like that. Yeah, everybody from this season is not great. Do you think it's going to be like um, one of the, um, like Natasha or something? Or Kelly? Oh, Lord. It could be Kelly. Kelly? It could be Kelly. She could actually deliver like a very sarcastic little season. Right. People like Kelly. That's true. I mean. I am an attorney. Yeah. She's like. Have you seen me? Yeah. She's like these children. litigate. Yes, I think it could be. Kelly is my best guess. Um, I don't know if I would love it. She's definitely not like, she's kind of like duds. Um, No, because I feel like I have a little bit of a Kelly spirit animal like within myself. Oh, me too. But like, I I don't know, she's a lot different than Hannah Ann. She'd have to buy in. And and that's the problem. That's why she and Peter broke up is because she didn't buy in. Right, she didn't sip the Kool-Aid. And they weren't. Bachelor is not giving you the prime time if you're not sipping the Kool-Aid. Right. Um, But I think she could. I think... I mean, it's easy to sip the Kool-Aid when it's your own show. When I got men fighting for me, I'll sip the Kool-Aid. Grape, please. Like, whenever I'm fighting other girls, I feel like I wouldn't sip the Kool-Aid either. I'm like, are you kidding? These girls, like, crying McKenna over here? Let's try again. Do you remember when Kool-Aid packets were, like, 10 for 10? Yes. Ugh. Or no, 10 for a dollar. And you had to pick all the flavors. Yes, and you I know exactly what you're talking about. Like lined up and be like, no, we got lemon last time, you idiot. Kiwi strawberry. Yeah, no, my sister and I would fight. Do you remember the Kool-Aids that weren't Kool-Aid brand, but they came in those little like barrels and they were like blue and orange yep. and they were disgusting, yes. but like delicious. But so good. Oh man. Yes. You know I'm addicted to juice boxes again. Guys, I, a hot take. Go out there and buy yourself a Capri Sun because you forgot how good they are. Because I did. And I am addicted. You see me walking around my adult job yes. sipping a Kool-Aid like a child. Well, that's, yeah, that's basically the exact same as me driving home from work last night, eating a fun dip, and then spilling 
said fun dip powder all over my dashboard. Mine's on my fridge because it just says to Lauren or to Miss Lauren, love Abram. And I can't open that because it's sweet. <laughs> my little baby. So you drink your Capri Sun and I'll lick my fun dip. Seriously, guys, you're going to regret it if you don't go get a Capri Sun because it's a really good, <laughs> it's a good time. Um, can we also just talk about their, their outfits in that, in that hangar and that airplane hangar? Vicky F., I love a midi dress, I do, but not for that moment. Yeah. That was not, a, like, that wasn't right. I thought Kelsey had a great leg happening. Uh, yeah, Kelsey looked good, but, you know, her dead teeth really kill me. Yeah, you really think she has great teeth. They're horrible. They're really ugly. Um, she's beautiful, but her teeth... Yeah, I thought she had a great leg, though. Um, Hannah Ann's looked like she was going to a funeral for, like, somebody that she used to sleep with. So, like, I'm going to look a little cute, but <laughs> it was just, like, not cute. I liked Madison's, but it was... Um, it was very much so like, I'm going to get married, like my little bride outfit. Doesn't it remind you of something that Britney would have worn on Vanderpump Rules? I don't know. I'm not caught up on this season. Oh, it's very like, I'm an obnoxious bride. I'm a bride. Woo! Bachelorette. Bachelorette. Oh <laughs> that's what she sings at her party. Um, oh, God. So, yeah, awful. I just really. That sounds even worse than bridesmaids. Ooh, ha, ha. Yeah, no, it was. It was bachelorette. <laughs> bachelorette. Oh, God. Bachelorette. Arr. Um, yeah, this season's yeah, not doing awful. good, but that's another topic. Um, so yeah, their outfits, Vicky F's outfit, she looked like she was like ready to leave. Like she did not think she was going to get that rose, nor do I think she wanted it. All right. So that's hometowns, Lauren. You ready for some overnight date action? Yes. I cannot wait to see who Peter fantasy suites with or doesn't <laughs> fantasy suite with, um, and, uh, see who Madison gets upset about if he takes her little ultimatum she seems to be giving him little Luke P mm. style. It's going to be interesting. Interesting. Okay. Thanks, Lauren. You're a real gem. Ah, real treat. Sorry for um, saying something mean about your great turtleneck. I think it's actually fine. Ah, thank you. Fine. I'll take it. Okay. This was On a Mother Level with um, me and Lauren. Yay. Dr. <laughs> Day and Jess Buntemeyer. How about a little shout out for uh, Jordan Franks for editing this episode? Yeah, we love you. <laughs> Leave a review, rate, and subscribe. This is On a Mother Level. Share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening. You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network.